My name's, my name's Tim and I'm an addict. Uh, I was all ready and the lights went off. Completely put me off my stride. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> if anything I say is helpful to you... <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, There are spirits walking abroad amongst us. Um, If anything I say is helpful to you, wonderful. Uh, If what I say doesn't help you right now, don't worry about it. There are plenty of other meetings. There are plenty of other people in those meetings. I'm just going to give it a second until the signs are back up. So if I wasn't off my stride before, I certainly am now. Uh, (laughs) So I last used on the 24th of July, 1993. Uh, Well, well done to yourselves. It's not to me. (laughs) Let's just leave that there. Um, uh, The point about me being an addict is that uh, it's not me that keeps me clean. If I could keep myself clean, I'd be sitting at home listening to the archers right now. But I'm not. I'm here with you. (laughs) Because I need to be in meetings. Because I need the other people in recovery. It doesn't matter how long a person has been clean, in my experience, Uh, although my life is wonderful now, there is absolutely no guarantee that it's going to stay that way and there's absolutely no guarantee that I'm going to stay clean forever unless I follow a few simple rules. Um, I have done service in a treatment centre. I've done service in lots of places, but there was a treatment centre in West London one of those little fancy ones where uh, um, they pay, I don't know how many thousand pounds a week to detox them and give them a bit of Indian head massage and whatever else they do, and the, the psychiatrists running around. And, uh, and once a week, a, meet, they'd t- a couple of times a week, they'd take, we'd take a meeting in there. Uh, and all of the addicts and alcoholics are offered the opportunity to go down to that meeting to be introduced to the world of 12-step recovery. And what's so interesting is that, well, first of all, because they're paying such a lot, they can do what they want. No one's forcing them to go to the meeting, so most of them don't. Now, the ones that do, occasionally there are people that have never come across a 12-step 12-step fellowship before. But it's amazing how many of the people in there who trot down to the meeting on whatever it is, a Tuesday or a Wednesday evening, one week, two weeks, three weeks, clean or sober, were in AA or some other fellowship for 10 or 15 or 20 years and drifted and slipped. And the lucky ones end up in this 
treatment centre and of those, the lucky ones end up back in recovery. Uh, a friend of mine relapsed in 1995 and it took him 20 years to get back. And he's not exactly out of the woods now. Um, he's in and out. I'm in no doubt at all that if I used, uh, I'd have a very slim chance of having another crack at this. You'll pardon the pun. Um, and so I take this very seriously. I take recovery very seriously. It's very cosy in meetings. It, you, you look around, you see all your friends, it's the same people as last week, and it, it feels cosy and friendly and stable. And you <coughs> wind the tape on five years, most of the people are different another cosy group that feels like it's going to last forever. So my job in recovery is to make sure that I ally myself and align myself with a bunch of other people that have the same commitment to recovery as me. My recovery is only as strong as the group that I choose to become a member of. Um, my home group is... is uh, one that I'm very fond of, we get uh, various, 60 to 80 people, we go for dinner afterwards. Uh, 40 of us pack into a Nando's. Uh, why Nando's? You pay on the way in so there's no argument at the end. Tip. Um, and there's a real sense of fellowship. No one needs to be alone on a Saturday evening. In recovery and people come from all over to that group people come from from Brighton and Bournemouth and Bristol sometimes there's one woman that comes from the Netherlands once a month because there isn't a meeting as strong in the Netherlands so it's people that take things really seriously and I'll tell you my capacity for going off beam after 26 years of recovery is as great as it was when I was new, except I'm, I'm, my mind works these days, so actually I, I can drift further off beam, completely convinced I'm fine. So I need plenty of really, really strong people around me who are bang on the programme to mirror to me when I look at them, when I see them doing service, when I see them helping newcomers, when I, I hear them sharing, <coughs> and I measure myself against them, I see everything that I need to see about what is wrong with my recovery that day or that week. And without that, I don't know if I'd still be here. So that's the most important thing. So the question is, how do I build, uh, be part of building a strong home group? Um, I've tried recovery all sorts of different ways, and it was with some reluctance after a number of years in recovery that I decided to take the big book seriously. I'd adopted the bits of it which didn't seem too old-fashioned, the bits that were convenient to me, the bits that spoke immediately to me, but there were lots of gaps. And I was a member of a group about 15 years ago where, um, very nice group, very nice people, Sober a long time, 20, 30 years, most of them. And I said 
So this step one business, this powerlessness, this unmanageability, what does it actually mean? And I asked, I asked all sorts of different people. I got a radically different interpretation from each one. And I thought, this, this won't do. I was around 10 years clean and sober at the time, thinking, could I go back? Could I use it? Would it be different now, now that I've had 10 years? Now that I've, I've got a career, I've got my life together, I've got some money in my pocket, I'm not anywhere near as much of a douchebag as I had been 10 years earlier, still a bit rough around the edges, but nonetheless more socialised than I had been when I got into recovery. Maybe if I drank today, if I used today, maybe it would be different. How would I even know? Um, fortunately, I, I, I used the word luckily twice already, and I've just used the word fortunately. I don't actually believe in luck and fortune. I believe in powers greater than me that guide me in the right direction and make available to me the people I need to have made available to me in the moment that I'm willing. That's what I believe in. So, but any, in any case, fortunately, I chanced across some tapes of people talking about how they use the big book as a basic text and it clear i mean instantly within three or four days of listening to these tapes and reading the book really carefully it cleared away 10 years of confusion i felt to some extent a fake in the world of recovery because although i was crazy when I got here, my using stories themselves were not particularly dramatic. Yeah, I got arrested on uh, one occasion. I, got, I did run into the trouble with the police on a number of occasions. Um, traffic accidents, there were, stuff did happen, but in terms of the external features of my using, other people were off the chart compared to me. I mean, I was, as I say, mad when I got into recovery. I was mad before I ever used. You had a few years of using on top of that, and I was, no one wanted anything to do with me when I got in. But I didn't identify with those, if you'll pardon my French, pissing up the wall stories, where people speak very eloquently about the most extreme moments of their using. And I can understand why people do it. It's a good story, and who doesn't like to hear a good story? But they're not necessarily illustrative of what using looked like on a daily basis. <coughs> what I used and how I used varied. Not just substances, but processes as well. So as a friend, my friend Tom says that if you have the misfortune to qualify for one 12-step fellowship with any luck at all, you can qualify for a dozen of them. Um, but the real substance of my using was not the substance. The substance of it was my relationship to the substance, which is that it was my higher power. It was my solution, and it didn't matter that it was my problem because it was my solution. As soon as I started to drink and use at school, I knew I was in desperate trouble. But I knew 
with equal certainty <coughs> that no way was that trouble going to be allowed to get in the way of me continuing to drink and use because there was no way I was going to sign up to remaining on this planet of yours unless I had something substantial to take the edge off every day. And alcohol and drugs and some other stuff put me in a place where I could remain on the planet for another day. Just about. Even then it was ropey. And so... Oh, there were people in my life on the periphery. I had a couple of romantic relationships which were a little bit Jeremy Kyleish, shall we say? <laughs> Maybe a touch more middle class, but the but the arguments were the same. But that wasn't the that, those weren't the major relationship in my life. The people in my life were delivery systems for. Uh, some, res some respect and some validation and su some support and some money. But they weren't the real thing. The real thing was this substance. And the point about my addiction is this. What I learned from the big book is, first of all, um, when I start, I don't know when I'm going to stop. And that is not just on the evening itself. I... Uh, first started to get clean and sober when I was 18 and it took three years of trying all, all sorts of different ways to achieve that before recovery finally took and in 1991 I uh, slipped, relapsed or started again and it was a year and a half before I even considered stopping again. So this is the thing that I learned from the doctor's opinion is that when I start, I can't stop me and you can't stop me. And it is not, it is not because of my emotions and it is not because of my circumstances. It said it doesn't satisfy us to be told that we couldn't control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, we're in full flight from reality or outright mental defectives. So put in like ordinary language, I didn't drink and use the way I did because I was mad or thick or unhappy. I did it because that's the way I am. So the penny dropped when I was 10 years clean. Okay, so I'm no longer mad at 10 years. Eccentric, but not mad. My mind is working, reasonably happy. My life looks together. That won't save me because being nuts and my mind not working, those weren't the reasons I was drinking and using the way I drank and used. I do that because that's the way I'm built. So that's always going to be the case. My body doesn't know that my spirit has had a spiritual awakening. And there are some processes in life whether it's sugar or sex or some other neat stuff that you can get up to, I imagine, in South Woodford, which will give you a little bit of a chemical rush. And I have to say, the experience of those processes in life is exactly the same as it is, that I'm off to the races, and I know the beast is therefore still alive in me. When I was seven years clean, I started smoking cigarettes again, having stopped... And I managed to continue for another seven years 
during which time I watched my father die of lung cancer and watching him die of lung cancer because of his 60 years of smoking did nothing to dent my addiction to nicotine. All it did was make me feel guilty. Guilty because I hadn't understood I was powerless. When I start the addictive cycle again, it lets go of me when it decides it's going to let go of me. My friend Tom says, don't, don't get back in the cage. And what he means is alcoholism addiction is like, it's like dancing with a gorilla. You're not done dancing until the gorilla is done dancing. So don't get back in the cage. However, <clears throat> that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that as an addict, when the gorilla starts singing my song... I'm just going to waltz right back into that cage, left to my own devices. Um, so the difference between me as an alcoholic and, a, and an addict and someone who isn't is a sufficiently strong reason will permanently enable them to stay away from the first drink and the first drug. And it will, for me, for a number of days, weeks or months, but all I need is one moment... When that knowledge doesn't show up, people would say to me in early recovery, just play the tape forward. My experience is there are moments when there is no tape to play forward or there is no machine to put the tape in or I play it and I'm shocked at my own indifference to the knowledge of the consequences which are going to flow from using again. So the point about being powerless over the first substance is that left to my own devices I will use again and the only thing which will stop me is a spiritual awakening which is a horrible phrase and if you're I don't know how new anyone is in CA you don't need to raise your hands I'm guessing there might be some people who are new certainly the phrase spiritual awakening was not in my vocabulary when I got here mm. <clears throat> and I didn't understand it for a very long time. Um, it annoyed me that people would talk about spirituality, but no one would ever say what it meant. Um, <clears throat> to me, what a spiritual awakening means is that I'm not the final authority in my own life. That there is a power available in the universe which has to be my final authority, which I'm going to defer to even if I think it's a terrible idea. And I'm going to give some examples of that. Um, in my first year of recovery, a real recovery, um, I had a sponsor and I had a couple of other people who were sober and clean for 20 or 30 years or longer. And I effectively turned my will and my life over to these people. Now, they, they weren't... You've got to be careful who you ask, therefore, uh, to be a sponsor. Um, <laughs> you want to be very careful. Um, <clears throat> but I chose people who were of sound mind, that had a sense of humour, that were cheerful, that were functional, that didn't particularly care what people thought about them, but were keen to be kind and polite and tolerant and respectful of those people anyway and not because they wanted them to like them just because it was the right thing to do 
And in matters great and small, um, I deferred to them. I said, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? Um, footnote, um, the family I come from is not littered with alcoholics and addicts, but there are some. And many of the others are even more nuts. If any of you have had uh, any experience with an alcoholic or an addict family, the people who aren't using can sometimes be the really frightening ones. At least the ones who are using are passed out for some of the day. But <laughs> the crazy person shouting in the kitchen, you know, sleeps three hours a night and sleeps with one eye open. Um, so I grew up in a family which didn't exactly give me a blueprint for life. It didn't exactly give me a design for living. What was passed on to me was probably centuries of dysfunction crystallised in a, you know, a few horrible ideas. So I had no idea how to work, how to study, how to have relationships with ordinary people, how to how to communicate. I was, I was, a friend of mine described me as being set to broadcast only. I, there was no, I could not receive anything in. I couldn't listen. Um, I needed very, very clear guidance in my first year, and I found some people who gave that to me, but whose purpose in giving that to me was to use those examples of, as illustrations of how to think through situations, how to apply spiritual principles to any situation in my life, so that eventually I could rely on the higher power who was standing behind them and not on them. But there was this little phase in between where if I'd been left to my own devices, like if I'd been handed a bunch of spiritual principles and been told, well, you just work it out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I needed people to very clearly... You may not. I did. People have different experiences. I was 21 when I came in. So people who are coming a bit older may have a bit more common sense, a bit more life experience. I didn't. I, I was in cloud cuckoo land when I was using. I, I had no real life experience. I was just out of it. <clears throat> but that was my first example of turning my will and life over to a power greater than myself. So I would phone people up and say, I feel like drinking. And they said, well, don't. Go to a meeting. And I would, I would obey their voice over the voice in my head. And I'd say, well, I, 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 well I'm scared I'm going to drink, I'm scared. They said, you don't need to. And I decided I was going to believe that voice that said, you do not need to. All you need to do is take it one minute at a time and get to a meeting, then you'll be looked after. And they were right. As I say, it's not a permanent situation. I did need to learn to apply the principles myself. But when push comes to shove, when I've got a problem in my life, the not, and, and I still have issues that I find difficult, I find certain types of people difficult, there are, I won't go into details, there are situations in my life which I'm, I've not faced before, and so I don't know how to face them instinctively. <clears throat> the one danger when I'm in trouble emotionally or I'm facing a situation I don't know how to deal with, my, the one danger is if I'm going to say, I'll handle this myself. So I don't. I tell people what is going on. And I found some good people in all sorts of different places. 
Some of them in this country, some of them in other countries. <clears throat> so the rest of the steps, step one says to me, um, left to my own devices, I will drink and use. If I start, I may never stop. So my life is unmanageable, not because there's some external mess. That probably comes as part of the package deal, but because I am not in charge of the course of my life. Whatever monster inside me wants to use, unless that monster is contained, that's who is managing my life. And that was a scary prospect. That's the fuel for me for the rest of the programme. With step two, coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, I didn't get that all at once. I'll give you one example. I don't know if you've ever been to, gone to a meeting knowing that after the meeting you're going to use, just knowing with absolute certainty. But something happens during the course in the meeting, and on, on the way out you're thinking, that's so weird, I have no desire to use now. I know I'm going to be fine, I don't know about tomorrow. Tomorrow is probably going to happen, but tonight, at least tonight, I'm fine. And it's not because any one individual in the meeting has said like this amazing thing that has changed your life. There is something beyond the words in here which affects me at a level that I can't reach on my own. So no matter what inventory I do and what self-examination and meditation and spiritual readings, sometimes if, if my head is on backwards and I try and do inventory or meditate or pray or do anything like that, it actually makes it worse because it's like my ego uses that as fuel and I end up further away and even angrier. But you place me in the centre of people who that day are less crazy than me and it gets through to me at a level that I cannot reach on my own. That's just one of 10,000 examples that I've had over the years where a power greater than myself has reached through the haze and found me at the bottom of whatever pit I ma managed to dig myself into and pulls me out again, again and again and again and again and again. And it happens, I'll give you another example. Um, <clears throat> this week, I started to feel kind of drifty about all sorts of things. Um, angry about stuff in the world, indifferent about my home group. And I knew I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't right in the head. Everything was fine externally. I was a little bit tetchy with a couple of people, hardly worth mentioning. Um, <laughs> I was tetchy. Um, I got a phone call on Saturday afternoon from a friend of mine who I used to sponsor who lives in America and he's coming up to 20 years sober and he calls me to say, I'm feeling like I'm drifting this week and I'm getting really, like everything is fine externally but I'm getting really tetchy with people and he was, he was describing to me the week that I had had and we connected and something inside me, some resistance to my higher power broke because I got a call from across the world from someone who could have called a couple of dozen people much close to home. I don't know why that happened, but it did happen. And my life is full of things happening which help me despite myself because there is a fund, although I resist every step of the way, there is a fundamental surrender to the steps, the traditions, the concepts, the program that means that 
however obstinate and stubborn I am, there's a little voice in me which is always listening, which is saying, there must be something out there to help me. And then I spot it when it comes. Step two, it works. It works for you, so it's going to work for me. Step three, the way I practice that in my life um, today. When I get up in the morning, my job is to say to my higher power, uh, I cannot make myself happy. The purpose of my day is not my satisfaction or comfort. The purpose of my day is to use my time constructively to help the people around me. And I've tried kind of negotiating with that and going halfway, but honestly... The path of least resistance is just to say, F it, I'm just going to give the whole day to my higher power. You do what you want. Whoever comes into my life, fine. Whatever they want to do, fine. Don't put up any resistance. Go with it. Try not to regulate anyone except myself. And I'm relearning some of those really basic tools from the, the, the Just For Today card, which originally came from Alan on it, incidentally. Um, that's why it's got such high standards. Um, but not regulating other people. My job is just to be of service. And when I adopt that attitude, I get looked after. And it's a very simple deal. What I discovered in step four, step four is a long, complicated deal, but it's, it can, with a skilled sponsor, it can be gotten through in a few days or a few weeks and then you can add some more detail later on but it's I can't describe the whole thing now but I'll tell you one thing that I learned uh, the resentment inventory um, first column who I'm upset about and doesn't have to just be resentment it talks about who I feel hurt by who I feel threatened by it's lots of different emotions in there who's upsetting me second column well what have they done third column this affects my, and that's where I got free. Because I discovered the reason something affects me is because I have a demand. I'll give you an example. So, sponsee calls and says, I want some help. And I give them some help. And their next sentence starts with the word, but. <laughs> and I answer that. And then the next sentence starts with the word, but. Now, I can handle that. There are ways around that. There are ways of responding to that. But on a bad day, internally and sometimes externally, I'll get pissed off. <laughs> Why do I get pissed off? It is not them. It's me. Because they've affected my personal relations. I've got an idea. I've got a plan. I've got a demand. I've got an expectation for how I think this person ought to be behaving. They're not following the script. Inside, I must have a script for him. He should say, yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Bye. But I don't get that. I get the little, little weaselly argument. So the reason I'm pissed off is not his behaviour. It's because I've gone into this situation with a silent demand I didn't even know I had. And it's only, and that silent demand is like a landmine. When you step on the landmine, I blow up. Now, why do I want him to behave like that? Because I want him to see me as this like, great wise sponsor that has all the answers. Clearly he doesn't. Clearly he thinks he's got better ideas. Again, the reason this would piss me off is because I've got a plan for how I think he should see me, which is my pride. And self-esteem. If I were a better sponsor, maybe he'd listen. So again, there's a little plan there. And 
Every time I discover I'm upset by anything on any level, the truth is I have a plan for how I think that should turn out, which is linked to a whole raft of other plans. And that is the measure of me playing God in my life. God is the person who's supposed to have the plans, not me. I'm the one who's supposed to ask God for God's plans for me and then carry it out without question. And the point about all that is the power to upset me lies with me. If I'm upset, the problem lies with me, not with you, which means the solution lies. The solution is always next to the problem. So if the problem is within me, the solution is within me as well. I've got to drop the demands and say, God, thy will be done. That's why it says on page 67, thy will be done. I'm upset because I want my will to be done. I need to drop my will. And the reason I'm much happier to drop that, drop that now than I ever was is because it works better. I lived many years trying to seek happiness from the world based on a cocktail of, well, literally and figuratively, of, of sex and money and power and prestige and comfort and thrills and appearance, and it did not work. Whenever I get something in one of those areas, I just want another one. I want a better one. I want one further up the chain. No job ever satisfied me. No relationship ever satisfied me when I was looking for it to satisfy me. Whereas seeking to do God's will, I mean, I can have a simple conversation with a sponsee, talk to someone after a meeting. I can do simple things. I can put away chairs and feel satisfaction doing that. I don't know why but it works. And that multiplied across my life has given me a life which I feel is satisfying because it's satisfactory. Uh, and just a few more points about the rest of the programme. Um, the key word in step eight for me is, is all. I had to clean up my unfinished business with every single person I had unfinished business with. Sometimes it was an overt harm. Sometimes it was just a quiet apology for some convention I hadn't observed. Sometimes I just, sometimes they were the one who'd done something, but there was bad air, but I was the one with the programme, so I had to go and sort it out. Full, full on my sword, full on their sword. But it needed to be sorted out. I didn't connect with the idea, which people have been telling me for years, that I was, you know, I was enough. I was a good person. I was a perfect child of God, whatever language you like. I've been told that for years. I didn't connect with that until I did two things. Forgive everyone for everything. Make amends for everything without question and without delay. When I completed that process, the blanket came off and I knew that I was okay. And the rest of it, I, I don't get fancy with prayer and meditation. It's, I keep it really simple. I ask my higher power, what do you want me to do today? And I get on with it. And during the day, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment and fear. And I don't analyse things anymore. I just ask for God to remove it and get back, turn my attention to the world that is actually around me rather than the shit show I've created in my head. And my job then is very simple. Stuff comes into my life, opportunities come into my life at work with my elderly mother, with other people in my family, with all, all sorts of things in my community, in society. My job is to just get on with it.
And either it works or it doesn't, but the results are not my business. And as a result of that, you know, I'm bang in the middle of a home group, which I love. I've got a couple of home groups, one on Friday as well. We go for dinner as well. Um, I've got a good life outside, but it's my life in recovery which makes everything else possible. I do service at both my home groups. I'm a conference delegate. Um, I'm on a national subcommittee for armed services liaison, carrying the message to people in the armed services and veterans. I do some other stuff, service stuff as well. And it reminds me of my place in the universe, which is just one of a gazillion people with a job to do. I've got my own little job to do. I just need to get on with that. And if I do that, if I'm getting on with the job that God wants me to do, I never need to drink or use again. I'm going to stop there. Thanks for listening. Thank you.